Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Eric points out that um, packing, when you're when you're in redistricting terms, right? Packing means Republicans moved a district line and uh, Democrats are mad about it. Cracking means Republicans moved a district line and uh, Democrats are mad about it. That's the difference. Noticing a pattern. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, this is even Roy Cooper talked about this when he was drawing the gerrymandered maps that were tossed by uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, like 20 years ago, whatever, uh, when he was in the legislature, head of the Senate. Um or at least in charge of drawing the maps at the time. He's part of the leadership team back then. And he gave a quote, and he said, you know, it's it's sort of this, like, Goldilocks approach. You know, how many is too many? How much, like, when you're, when you're drawing the lines and you're putting people into certain districts, if you're, you know, you're doing it for partisan reasons, and, so, and here's part of the problem with the racial gerrymandering stuff is that because... Um, Black voters are 90-plus percent Democrat. If you gerrymander based on party ID, it's going to look a lot like racial gerrymandering, right? Because it's almost a one-to-one ratio there. So even if, you're, even if you blind yourself to the racial demographic data and you just draw the lines, right, then and you do it based on partisan uh, the party affiliation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look the same. And then you could be accused of having racial animus in your heart, right? <laughs> Same thing. Then you've, you've got um, the legislative leaders that sat down with these, you know, advanced computer programs, and they're able to draw the lines and get real specific. But it's almost like it's almost like people want to go back to the old days where you had. Uh, the lawmakers coming in and they had to know all of their own precincts, all of their own contours of their own districts, right? And they knew those neighborhoods, and so they would draw the lines around those neighborhoods. But sometimes they wouldn't know what a particular neighborhood might look like or might vote like or whatever, and so they would make mistakes. See, it seems like what Democrats want to go back to is a system where mistakes can be made more prolifically and so that gives them an opportunity to flip seats that they might not otherwise have been able to. That's that's has, that has always been sort of my read on it is that they want they want to be able to draw the maps to give themselves advantage. But if they can't be in charge of drawing the maps, then they want it to be uh, they want it to be more mistake prone. So so the lines get drawn in different ways. So Republicans make mistakes and they end up drawing themselves out of uh, the majority much like the Democrats did in 2010. <laughs> well, I mean, but part of that was also, part of that is also the geography. You know, Democrats keep clustering in the urban areas, in urban centers, and Republicans are spread out more evenly. They're distributed more evenly across the state. And so, yeah, that when you got the counties got to remain whole rules, when you have those things apply, then um, 
it kind of leads you to certain groupings and it leads you to certain contours of these districts. So the core of the argument from the legislature is that the court overstepped its role, that it is up to the legislature to draw these lines. It is not up to the court to enforce some standard of, quote, fairness based on partisan uh, waiting, right? It's nowhere in the Constitution. They, they conjured it up because they had an idea of how many seats they wanted, they thought would be, quote, fair at the congressional level, and they got there. And they used math, they used their formulas, and they used their special masters, right? They used that mechanism to get the result that they wanted, which is always why I ask people when you're having these discussions, what is a fair map? Because everyone's idea of what a fair map looks like is different. Some people want a straight-up proportionality kind of a thing where, okay, you've got 40% registered Democrats, you've got 30% registered Republicans, and then the rest are unaffiliated, and so that's how the districts need to be split up. But it's always interesting. Like It usually ends up the preferred route people want to take is the route that gives them the best chance at winning the majority. That's usually the way that breaks. Um, so that's the core argument from the legislature. Justice Anita Earls... Um, Democrat on the on the Supreme Court, she said that the legislature is not asking the court to declare any of the trial court facts were wrongly found. Right. She wants wants to be clear with Phil Strack, the attorney for the legislative leaders. She's like, I want to be clear here. You're not asking us to undo our findings of facts in the original uh, case that we ruled on Harper one. They were hearing oral arguments on Harper two. But she's like, you're not. You're not telling us that we have to find any of those facts were wrongly ruled upon, right? That the 2021 enacted plans resiliently safeguarded electoral advantage for Republicans, ensured that Republicans will retain majorities in North Carolina's congressional district and the General Assembly, even when voters clearly preferred the other party, that they were among the most extreme gerrymanders possible and were carefully crafted for Republican advantage, but more so than 99.999% of possible congressional maps, 99. 0.9% of possible Senate maps, 99.9999% of possible House maps. All right, so you're saying there's a chance Democrats could win some of those, right? Like, like 99.9999, you're saying there's like a point oh 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 one. <laughs> now, they, they ran these things through their <clears throat> computer simulations. And out of trillions of possibilities, right, the maps that the Republicans somehow were able to draw just happened to be, like, more in their favor than 99.99% of all of the trillions of other maps that could have possibly been drawn. I'm sure, I'm sure they just lucked out on that. No, of course not. Th- that, these computer programs are super powerful. They are able to determine this stuff. They're able to, to rig it like this. Yes, they are. And they're trying to draw them as favorable to themselves, to their party, as possible. Because they know the Democrats are doing the exact same thing in other states. At the congressional level, right, this is happening in other states. And so when you're fighting over how, uh, the control of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Republicans only have a five-seat majority up there now, right, that's how close it is, these are the stakes. Um, in short, she's saying that the original court found that the GOP-drawn maps were intentionally drawn to 
give Republicans an electoral advantage. You're asking us to say that in spite of those facts, the North Carolina Constitution offers no protection to voters. The North Carolina Constitution does not speak to partisanship and redistricting. Yes, Your Honor. So then that would mean that if the General Assembly had a redistricting criteria that said the partisan makeup of North Carolina's congressional districts must be to elect a congressional delegation that's 11 Republicans and three Democrats, it would be beyond the power of this court to prohibit that. Some things, Your Honor, are beyond the power of this court. Some things are beyond the power of other political political actors in this um, in our system. Uh, the governor cannot veto local bills. Right, but just to be clear, you're saying that we should um, overrule Harper One and advocate that the legislature has free reign to enact legislative districts that give extreme partisan advantage to one political party, rather than to um, as Harper One. Uh, stipulated there should be adherence to some measures of fairness. Your Honor, uh, with all due respect, I certainly understand the question. Um, this court does not have the power to address that issue. And part of the reason this court does not have the power to address that issue is because it does not have the tools to answer the question. It tried to do that in Harper 1, and it failed. Right. It tried to do the, the those judges, the four Democrat judges, tried to set rules. And then when they, tr- the legislature said, okay, we're going to take your rules. Because every single time Democrats on the bench set up new rules and issue new rulings on gerrymandering lawsuits out of North Carolina, the legislature goes back and draws maps that comply with those rules. And every single time, the new drawings... Get, sh- get shot down <laughs> because they, oh, no, we don't like those outcomes either. Well, if if you're going to set up the rules and I follow your rules and it yields an outcome that you don't like, then that's not a problem with the rules. That's a problem with your desire for a particular outcome, right? And that's what happened again. It happens, it, it happens all the time. The Democrats have been doing this to the General Assembly repeatedly since 2010. Repeatedly at the U.S. Supreme Court level, they did it right at the uh, the state Supreme Court level. They've done it. That's why they keep suing over and over and over again, getting different interpretations. And the whole it's just a mess. All of the the, the law around this now is just a mess. Um, got an email here from Stan. He says the reason the electoral geography is the way it is. Because one party whose voters live in or near big cities use the money of the other party's voters to buy the opposing party's votes. <laughs> kind of a good gig for some people. Um, well, I'll tell you that the uh, the economic engines are are the cities. But I don't I understand it's, you know, there's an us versus them kind of uh, mentality that takes hold with the rural urban divide kind of thing going on. But a lot of I mean. What are the suburbs? What do they count as? They're kind of urban, kind of uh, kind of rural as well, right? Kind of half and half, right? Or exurban, I think. That's where a lot of the growth is occurring, exurban, now they call it, uh, the surrounding areas. But, you know, there are Republicans that live in urban areas and there are Democrats that live in rural areas. I mean, not a lot, but still. Uh, and, no, the, like the economic engines that, like, Charlotte drives the economy in this region. Will it always? No. You know, this is a cycle, all the economic cycles and stuff. And 
just like we saw yesterday with cats and the poor management at cats. Like people make mistakes, corrupt people do stuff, right? And cities get bad reputations, investment flees. Like all, there's nothing that guarantees our success in this stuff, right? Um, we need each other. We need the rural areas to perform well. We need the urban areas to perform well. And um, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. If you don't like living in the city, then don't live in the city. And if you don't like living in the rural area, don't live in the rural areas. And don't try to tell the other people how to live when you're not in that area. That's all. Like, that's, to me, that's, like, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Philosophy for life. All right, on the uh, redistricting uh, point, I got a a, a call uh, off air making a, a great point about this also, which is the, the, the point of the the redistricting that occurs every 10 years after the census. That means you have this 10-year cycle, right? You have 10 years to get out, hit the bricks, knock on doors, and convince people that you know they need to change the way they're voting in that area and they need to vote for you or your philosophy, your party, or whatever. You have to organize, right? You got to go out and do the work. It's not just sharing, you know, Facebook memes and such. You have a decade. Um, reminded of uh, Tom Tillis, he did this work, you know, for the Republicans in the uh, at the state legislative level in 2010, um, and Robin Hayes before that uh, at the congressional level in 08. So, like this, this is how you work the system. Now, one of the it's actually kind of the ironic uh, outcomes here, which is because they keep suing, because Democrats and these left-wing groups keep suing over the maps, what happens is the legislature keeps getting another chance to draw the maps. And if they're successful with their oral arguments, they may get another shot at drawing these maps. They've been drawing maps like every two years, it seems like. Well, what does that mean? It means that the maps are getting... Um, getting a new life cycle, right? Because people move around. People move, right? Look at look at all of the major urban centers in North Carolina. This the urban centers, Charlotte's gotten bluer and the surrounding counties got redder. I remember when Gaston County was Democrat. And you could actually win as a Republican in Charlotte. You could win at large races, you could win school board district or countywide races. Not so much anymore, right? The The urban areas are getting bluer and the surrounding areas get redder. Well, what does that mean? It just means people are voting with their feet, moving out of areas and such, right? A lot of Charlotteans moved out of Charlotte because they didn't like being governed by Democrats. They didn't like the high taxes. They didn't want all of the amenities that the city leaders thought we needed to build to make ourselves world class. So they moved away. And so that's why you do it every 10 years as well, because you have shifting demographic patterns. So it's not guaranteed that Republicans are going to be in control of the General Assembly forever. Of course not. Democrats were in control of the legislature for 150 years. And they eventually could not gerrymander themselves into a majority in 2010. Right? Eventually, the demographic game was up. And they lost control. So the legislative lawyer, the uh, Phil Strack, the lawyer for the legislative defendants here, uh, the leaders of the General Assembly, Phil Strack argued that the Democrat-led Supreme Court 
set up rules in the original Harper case, and then, he, and then they conjured up new, nebulous, complicated mathematical formulas that rely on political judgments. He said that the U.S. Supreme Court in the North Carolina case Rucho, named after Bob Rucho from Mecklenburg County, right, ruled that it's impossible to measure partisan gerrymandering. The U.S. Supreme Court said that in Rucho, that it's impossible to measure partisan gerrymandering, and therefore it's non-justiciable. Judiciable. I don't even. I hate the word. I cannot pronounce it. Fully acknowledge it. But it's it's outside their purview. They can't do it under the U.S. Constitution, and they kicked it back to the states, which then, of course, prompted all of the left wing groups to sue at the state levels, because when the U.S. Supreme Court took Rucho all the way uh, and uh, when it went all the way to the Supreme Court and they took it up and they said, "This is outside of our purview. We 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 are not constitutionally empowered. We may not like." Partisan gerrymandering, but we can't ban it. We can't say it's unconstitutional because it's not in the document. It's not mentioned anywhere. Now, if you have a state constitution and the Democrats are like, oh, what, what, oh, yes, oh, let's sue at the state level while we have four Democrats on the state court. And then, of course, they got booted off the court. (laughs) And that's why we're rehearing the case. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Let's go to the phone lines now. Here is Christian. Welcome to the show, Christian. Hey, Pete. I just want to talk about how I feel like it's laughable when we got these uh, national Democratic boards. They got a bunch of lawyers, former Obama officials, and they always start uh, cases in red states of a partisan gerrymandering, but, you know, I've looked into it, and whenever these accounts and these uh, lawyers, they never like to talk about Oregon or Illinois or New York. They only like to talk about uh, North Carolina and Ohio, and uh, I find it laughable how, you know, they like to, uh, they they cry about when we split up communities, but uh, they don't cry about it when it benefits them, like when they did it to Raleigh, when they did it to Charlotte, so. Yeah. very laughable. Yeah, well, it's it, this is why I joke that the uh, when Democrats say they want fair maps, they mean maps that let them win. That's what they want. When they say fair maps, that's code. That's a dog whistle for maps that give us an advantage because they don't sue. Like, what's his face? Uh, the lawyer. Uh, oh, my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? That, it's the former attorney general, right? No, not uh, Eric Holder, but Mark Elias, right? Mark Elias, the the bag man, the cutout between um, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign and Steele dossier guys and all of that, right? That law firm, Perkins Cooey, he is all about, he's running this thing called Democracy Docket, and um, he's he's partnered up with uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder, and he's filing all these lawsuits, not just on election laws, but also on uh, the redistricting and the gerrymandering front as well, and He didn't go after Maryland, right? Maryland had a gerrymander for Democrats that was, I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the, the, the contours of those districts, it, it, 
it looks like the classic gerrymandered, you know, spaghetti salamander kind of shape all over. It's all twisted and turned all over the place because they gerrymandered it to give Democrats the maximum number of seats possible and to disenfranchise Republicans. He, he didn't challenge those maps. He only challenged ours. Yep. And I got uh, one quick question. Do you think that uh, if the map gets changed, do you think Jeff Jackson and uh, that Raleigh district, that South Raleigh district, do you think uh, those incumbents are, are dead on arrival? They Well, yeah, both of them are going to have a tough time of it. Um, what's the guy up in... Uh, uh, the uh, he lost what was his name Bo Hines right Bo Hines was the Republican that lost to I think Wiley Nickel um, and I think that district is going to be a tougher one for them to hold on to in two years anyway um, Jeff Jackson's district was I mean and that's what they got drawn for them it, by the special masters right that was that that Jeff Jackson district was gifted to him by those special masters that was the that was his door prize I guess for you know, not running against Sherry Beasley. <laughs> right? okay. uh, and so that's what he got. He got a, a congressional seat, and he's now cranking out TikTok videos where everybody's like, oh, my gosh, he's a social media rock star. That's all he is, right? So, I mean, it, 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 that's what he does, and he elevates yeah, I, his brand. All right, Pete, thank you very much for letting me call. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Christian. Um, no, I thought he was going to say something else there. But uh, I think he's in, yeah, I think they redraw that district, and they move it further to the west. Because that was the original intent, right? To get House Speaker Tim Moore, to get him positioned for a run for Congress. I mean, everybody knows that, right? I mean, like we all we, we all see the writing on the wall on that one, right? He's putting out, you know, Speaker Moore is putting out um, more uh, statements that talk about Washington D.C. funding while also expanding Medicaid. Which, by the way, that went through. Oh, yeah. Let me do that. Hang on. A Let, let's go ahead and let's shift gears over here to Medicaid real quick. Because the Medicaid expansion deal sailed through the Senate yesterday, a 43 to 2 vote. I got attacked again on Twitter by some of the burger machine people. Um, no, that's not a it's not a device used for making hamburgers. It's Phil Burger's political machine. And it, it exists, right? You got a, you got people that worked for him, that do work for him, that are allies of his, right? That that he has a machine. And North Carolina has had machine politics like this for 200 years. So uh, Berger, Moore's got a bit of one, right? So they, they, they have their operations. So uh, Phil Berger's machine, uh, they, are, they would very much like everybody to know that the Medicaid expansion deal is a really, really good deal. And they don't understand why people who have opposed Medicaid expansion for a decade now are not on board with the expansion of Medicaid. Like, I did not change my view on Medicaid expansion based on who was opposing it and who was supporting it. So my view on the Medicaid expansion is the same. And just because Berger and all the Republicans have now flipped on it for whatever excuses they want to come up with, just because they flipped... Doesn't mean I flip. Doesn't mean I have to either. It doesn't mean I, I'm I'm like I'm somehow pressed into the service of advocating the flipping of an of a ideological position of a principled stand. No, I'm not going to do that. And what's amazing to me is how many people 
I guess, expect all of the Republican, conservative, libertarian people that have been fighting in the trenches for 10 years against the expansion to just roll over. It's like they didn't calculate the blowback here. Maybe they did. And they just didn't craft a comms response. I don't know. Uh, They have no comms plan for this. So I got told today, uh, that there is a lot of things that the legislature can do in the budget, right? So they're saying that the Medicaid expansion, it's going to be part of the state budget. So that's going to allow them to leverage, right? I understand the strategy. I don't agree. I still don't agree. I'm like, I understand what you're saying. I understand the arguments. I understand the the points you're making. I still do not agree. You have not convinced me. <laughs> you have not convinced me that the juice is worth the squeeze. I held the same position I had before. And they say, well, there's a lot of things we can do in the budget. And if you haven't contemplated what those budget provisions could include, you're being intellectually dishonest um, in evaluating the deal. I was told this by, uh, this is Nathan Babcock, uh, who works for Berger's office, uh, or I guess did. He's Team Berger, uh, Atlas Political Consulting, right? part of the Berger machine. Okay, So this is what he tells me on, on Twitter today, this morning, because I retweeted, I'll go through this thread, one of the listeners to the program used to work in the mental health industry, and his read on the uh, this Medicaid deal is not exactly helpful to the Republican messaging on this. <laughs> and so I retweeted this thread. I, I took He wrote me a message, and I said, can I take this and put it into a tweet thread? Because I think it's important to share this information as part of the larger discussion, because I've not heard any of these points being raised yet. And so the person said, yes, I could do that. And so I did it. And then Nathan Babcock responded. And he said that I'm being intellectually dishonest because I haven't contemplated the what budget provisions could include. And my response was, you know, this is not a fantastic sales pitch to make to me that, like, support the deal for the thing you opposed for a decade because, you know, we are telling you that we are contemplating some really good stuff that might come along in the budget, too. That's not a sales pitch, man. Once again, did you not expect any of this reaction from people that believed the thing that you said you believed up until, like, last week? Seriously, I haven't changed my view on it. You guys changed your view on it, and you expect me to change my view on it. Now you're mad at me because I'm not changing my view to align with yours. That's not how I. That's not how I work. Uh, it's not how I think a lot of grassroots voters work. I don't think people just flip their positions like that, especially one that's been entrenched as long as the opposition to Medicaid expansion has been. We f- we view it as a as a cave for money. I I would have I would have thought that the Republicans would have recognized that and would have had some sort of a message to combat it. But I haven't heard one yet. I just get browbeaten. (laughs) So whatever. That's where we're at. I received a message the other day when I was talking about the Medicaid expansion fight that I was having with another one of the burger machine uh, men, uh, Brent Woodcox, the other day. And 
after that, I got a message on Twitter. It was a private message. I'm not going to disclose who the person is. But um, I asked if I could take this message and amplify it out over a series of tweets because I thought it was an interesting uh, piece of information, an argument inside the Medicaid expansion debate that I have not heard yet. So uh, the person said, yes, I could do that. <clears throat> and and uh, so here it is. Excuse me. I'm still battling. I don't know what it is. Like it's this head cold thing still going on. I apologize. Um, so from a listener who worked in the mental health field, the hospital lobby didn't actually give an inch. They won all the way around. They only gave in on certificate of need laws around mental health and substance abuse. Guess what things hospitals hate and don't want to be in the business of? Mental health and substance abuse. Both of those are financial black holes. They can't be treated by expensive procedures. They require higher staff-to-patient ratio. Some patients with a threat of self-harm literally must be observed by someone in the room 24-7. So they cost a lot to treat, but it doesn't pay well. Patients with mental health and substance abuse issues are much, much more likely to be either uninsured or on Medicaid because they are much more likely to be unemployed or in low-paying jobs because their substance abuse and mental health issues interfere with employment. And Medicaid both pays poorly and sets a bunch of performance standards for things like readmission rates follow-ups, et cetera, et cetera, lower pay with more hassle. Now, if you have insurance and you have mental health issues or substance abuse issues, you don't pick hospitals for that treatment. You go to private facilities out of state for inpatient treatment, right? You go away like Alec Murdoch did. You go down to Florida, right? You go away. You go to the inpatient private facility because you have the insurance. You can't get heart surgery at an exclusive resort-like setting in the country, but you do if you got money in a substance abuse problem or a mental health issue. So while hospitals can use the higher rates from private insurers to offset lower rates paid by Medicaid on things like surgery, it's harder for these patients. So this certificate of need change that's part of the deal, right? I'll explain what the CON certificate of need is in a second. But this certificate of need change is a huge win for the hospital lobby. They no longer will have a monopoly on services that they don't even want to provide anyway. Now they won't face all the pressure to do or provide more, and they can push those services and patients off on somebody else. The North Carolina GOP is giving the hospital lobby a gift, something they wanted anyway, while acting like it's some sort of hard-won victory. It's no accident that it was those two CON categories that are the ones chosen. Roy Cooper gets what he wants. The hospital lobby gets a win, something they would have given in on anyway on a, as a separate bill. Conservative values and small government advocates get nothing. And the North Carolina GOP is acting like they won or accomplished something. Right? So that was the, the series of tweets. That was the story that was told um, by a listener to the show that I then pushed out on Twitter. And that's what prompted the response from Nathan Babcock. Uh, Atlas Strategies, I believe, is... uh, Let me see, where did it go? I know he didn't delete it. There it is. Um, He says, false and misleading. 
for two reasons. Number one, it ignores certificate of need repeal in large counties for ASCs slash MRIs. Right, MRIs. So we're going to be able in large counties, but not small ones, but large ones. A oh, big victory in the for the large counties. So, I mean, sorry, if you're in a small county, you, you're not going to get any of those reforms. And other under-the-radar reforms, what he calls them. CON reform is triggered when the bill is signed. Medicaid expansion doesn't happen unless or until we get a budget. And then he says that, you know, there's going to be lots of things in that budget. You should be able to contemplate it, right? Well, no, you should be able to sell us, that make your pitch, right? That should be all part of this deal. Because certificate of need is ridiculous. Small, limited government people should have repealed those things immediately when they took office. I've been beating the drum on that for over a decade. Again, not going to stop beating that drum. Certificate of need is terrible. Republicans need to be unwinding it. And yes, they're doing it now, but they're trading off the Medicaid expansion to do it. You should just do standalone repeals of CON laws because they're ridiculous. The government shouldn't be telling people how many MRI machines that we need in a, in a geographic area. You're not experts. Thank <laughs> you.